Lord God, thank you so much for the beauty of the last couple of days, gorgeous weather and birds singing, and thank you for the rain and the snow we've had as well, because our the earth, the ground needed it so desperately. Lord, we pray that you'd be with uh, our friend Ray, that you would watch over him and the adopted kids and, and family that he has there, Lord, as he tries to navigate his very difficult situation. We pray for your sustenance and strength. You would hold him in your hands, that you would help him to make good decisions. We pray, Lord, that uh, the church gathering around him will be a support to him and the family as well. And I pray for his wife, that she would come to repent and turn from her ways. Lord, bless us in our time this morning and help us as we uh, work through these things. Give us wisdom ourselves and sober-mindedness in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Sorry, my battery in the little deal here is not sticking. So this morning we're going to talk about, we're just taking a break from our class, Why Do You Do That? And I uh, want to talk about what happened to Presbyterian. This is a fairly momentous Presbyterian, so I uh, wanted to, to tell you how things went and such. Um, by the way, this is the front page of the website for our Presbytery, Hills and Plains, Hills and Plains, Presbytery.org or something like that? Hills and Plains.org, so if you ever want to go there. There's not really much there, it's pretty boring. It's got a cool picture, but it's a pretty boring website. That's right, one Western Fall. Let's see, oh, i got to turn this on, that would help. Here we go. So let me, before we get to where we need to go, and everybody's concerned and thinking about the overtures themselves, let me build up to that. So first off, um, I want to just remind you, because sometimes, especially with COVID and with uh, all the hot presidential election stuff and all those things, it felt like there was this huge break and maybe a, a hole in there. But let me just go back through some history here for us in our own congregation. So I did a whole eight-part sermon series in early 2018 on this subject called Biology, Brokenness, Bodies, and Beauty. Anybody remember that? Yeah, okay. And interesting, sorry. Interestingly enough, timing was rather providential. That was during Lent, and then came May and, and the summer. Uh, then the Revoice Conference in 2018 happened, and I did a two-part presentation on the issues that were there for the adult class. And in that presentation, I made it available to three, three papers that went with the debate and troubles to include the talks of the, two of, the, of the two PCA men given at Revoice. So that way you would have the actual facts. I cannot stress that enough. It's one thing to hear people report things. It's another thing to actually have the facts. Sometimes you find the two don't always go together. So we had the facts. Um, on occasion in the adult class, I would point out where the Missouri Presbytery was in the procedural journey with Greg Johnson. You may remember stopping a class and just saying, just to let you know where this is at at this point. Okay, Bob remembers, yeah. Um, after this last General Assembly, I announced to the congregation I was doing a whole presentation on what happened at General Assembly and on these two specific overtures. And then on that day that was announced, I made that presentation. And some of the a couple of the slides in here will be from that presentation just to remind us that we did talk about those things then. Further, when the Ad Interim Committee came out, uh, first presented its paper, its study paper, two years ago, well, not quite two, not quite two years ago, uh, it made, I made multiple copies available, left them in the foyer for weeks, I pointed them out to folks, I re referred to them in announcements and pointed out where they were, and again, a year later, I did it again, I also gave you links so you could look at it yourself online. 
and made also available the RPCES. Remember, Heritage was is what came from the RPCES, and so this is important for us. The RPCES, Reformed Presbyterian Church Evangelical Synod study paper that was done decades ago because it is now part of the PCA's position, right? It got absorbed into all of our official declarations. While doing the Sunday evening series on duplex gratia, double grace, where we talked about and covered justification and sanctification, I addressed these issues quite clearly, especially when we're talking about sanctification. I've addressed these subjects in Sunday morning sermons. Just think how often I've described Gnosticism and our bodies and our God-given sex. Right? And I've emphasized that. I remember one woman came up and said afterwards it was good to know that God loves my body as I, you know, my body, right? And so, and, and I pointed out how Gnosticism is. Gnosticism is the issue, okay? Because if my body's bad, but my spirit's good, then I can do whatever I want to with my body. Anybody remember any of this? Yes, thank you for head nods. <laughs> Even last Sunday, tackling 1 Peter 4, 1-6, through I addressed again life for human passion and life for the will of God. We talked about sanctification and those things. All of those things fit in with this. <clears throat> Our congregation also hosted in December, hosted a discovery and discussion time for all area teaching elders and ruling elders. Um, our session was there. Uh, I alerted the congregation that we were hosting and, and that we were discussing the women's ministry, even set up the food for it. So we ate beforehand and um, they were there hosting it. I wrote the letter last week. Not, not Wednesday, not last Wednesday, but the week before. Uh, sorry, that should have been two weeks ago. To continue making the SJC decision and reports, all the reports, there are five of them. There's the SJC decision, and then a dissent, and then the answer, and then two consenting reports. Made all those available. Even put out printed copies out in the foyer. I made 20. It looks like there's two left. So there's 18 out there people have picked up. So I've addressed it on occasion in weekly letters. On top of all that has been done at Heritage, there are articles, podcasts, videos, talk radio shows which are easily accessible to any who want to know and are available to one and all. And then related, though not dealing with the topic itself, but related, the class I did at the beginning of 2020 on sober-mindedness and the book that came out of it, and then the class I did last April and May on vetting the media, how uh, both those address issues that were important around these two topics. How we actually think and learn to think and not get alarmed and actually process through and how we vet news sources and, and all those things and, and actually pay attention to where they come from and how to actually read and listen and so forth. So we talked about quite a bit. So that's three slides very quickly. And there's more I could say, but there's some examples. So just keeping the congregation informed, okay, is very important, and we've been doing it. So any questions or anything before I go on? Okay. So moving along, let me tell you about Presbytery very briefly. Um, we had a pre-Presbytery meeting at 8 o'clock on Saturday morning. Uh, Presbytery was oh, Saturday a week ago on the 12th. So I set up, as the chairman of the administrative committee, I set up a pre-presbytery discovery and discussion time. We had uh, from 8 to 10. So the first hour was someone who was for the overtures and someone who was opposed to the overtures. And they gave, it was a very 
was very uh, outlined how much they could speak. 15 minutes, 10 minutes, 5 minutes. So that, they, they both got all that, okay? And they laid those cases out. One was Jay Bruce, who's a professor at uh, John Brown University, who's also a, an associate pastor at Covenant Church in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Uh, he spoke for the overtures. And then Casey Shutt, who's local here, who's uh, planting King's Cross on the other side of I-35, spoke in opposition. Uh, it was very civil, very... Uh, lots of thought was gone into it, so we did that. And then the second hour, we gave everybody five minutes, no more than five minutes, for and against. And they went back and forth, for and against, for and against, for and against. I don't remember how many people we had talk. We probably had, probably had eight people, maybe, something around that. Yeah, yeah. And so lots of folks, really, uh, lots of the elders appreciated the time to be able to do that. And get that going. And so then we had Presbytery started at 10 a.m. with a worship service. This was a rather long one because the worship service wasn't long. <laughs> it was normal. The Presbytery was long because we had lots of extra administrative oversights to fix and correct. We had, we had let some things go and that ended up causing some trouble later. But all that happened after lunch. But that we went forever. It was the longest Presbytery in all my living memory. Ah, horrible. Anyways, I was I was I was fried by the time we got home. Anyway, we won't get there. But any questions before I get get into more details? Yes. Sure. All right, so let's talk about, and this is a slide I gave you last year after General Assembly, because you need to remember the process, okay? I mean, this is really important. Sometimes, um, not, not bad-mouthing anybody, but there's a specific talk radio host I have in mind who has no idea how Presbyterianism works and wants to know why immediate decisions aren't done and implemented right then, because that's how they do it at her church, boom, and everybody else has got to agree to it. Well, we have a reason for this process. So a BCO, I mean, a, a, a proposed amendment is uh, presented to General Assembly one year. It usually comes to an overture. Once it gets to the overtures committee, it goes to General Assembly itself that day, that week. And then General Assembly votes on it. If a majority votes for it, then that overture that has a proposed Book of Church Order amendment, and this would be the same for like the Westminster Confession of Faith if we were to ever uh, amend it too. That amendment then, that proposed amendment then, is sent to the presbyteries. Okay, so now you've got a whole year-long process. It's got to go to all the presbyteries. There has to be a two-thirds majority of the presbyteries that approve it for it to go any further. If there's no two-thirds, so think about the math of it. At any point, if it becomes clear that there will not be two-thirds, like if it fails at ten pres- after ten presbyteries voting for it, um, well, no, actually, if, uh, if 30 presbyteries voted against it, no, that's not right. We have 88. We have 88 presbyteries. I'm trying to do the math. If we had 40 presbyteries that voted an overture down, like, boom, then it's not going to go anywhere. It's already messed the two-thirds vote. So you've got to remember the two-thirds must approve it. If it's approved, if there's two-thirds of the presbyteries that actually approve it, then it's sent back to General Assembly 
And at General Assembly then, General Assembly then, on the second time General Assembly sees it, now General Assembly just simply votes it, either approves it or votes it down by a simple majority. If they, if at General Assembly they decide, no, we're not going to go through with this, and it gets voted down, then that's the end of the matter. If a majority agrees to it, then it gets put into the Book of Church order. If the Presbyteries don't reach the two-thirds, then it's a dead, it's just a, it's just a moot point. It doesn't even go to General Assembly, it's just dead, okay? Any questions about the process? Um, no? Yeah, the majority, yeah. Anyways, any, any other questions about that? Yes. Yeah, so the Committee of Commissioners is like an oversight on all the committees. There's a Committee of Commissioners for every permanent committee. So you have, you have, you have people who are populating the committees themselves, and they, they wrangle over it, make decisions, and so forth. Then you have the Committee of Commissioners that's overseeing that, and they're making sure, part of it is making sure that everything's done decently in order as good Presbyterians like to do everything, right? And so um, what specifically are you... Yeah, yeah. 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 Sure. Right. Yeah. 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 And you got to remember, all of our polity is a grassroots Presbyterian polity reacting to where we came from when we left the PCUSA in 1973. So the way we do fundraising, remember I mentioned this last week, for missionaries and church planning. Extremely important. We have lots of fingers on everything. There's lots of eyeballs. So any questions? Any other questions? Yes? Oh, good. Yeah, 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 yeah. So if an overture comes to the Overtures Committee at General Assembly, that may not be what comes to the floor of General Assembly. Because when it's in the Overtures Committee, it gets debated on, gets amended, and all those things, and then finally will come to the General Assembly uh, if it's in order, etc., etc., etc. There's a lot of overtures that don't even make it to the floor other than just being noted. Like I remember in 2019, there were several um, memorials to R.C. Sproul and Morton Smith and all those. Those didn't get out of Overtures Committee. They were noted, but they didn't get out of Overtures Committee and so forth. So those, those things go on. And the Overtures Committee, they can also amend them. So both the Overtures we want to look at, both of them were amended. They came one way, and they came out a bit different, quite a bit different. Okay? And so that's good. I'm glad you put Is that what you were talking about, Fred? Were you asking about that? Okay. Yeah. So, so they, they do, there is this process that makes, that looks at all these things and says, is this going to be beneficial and so forth. And so, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's that's usually what the memorials do. I mean, most people, when they know when they put an overture in for a memorial, they just realize it's not going to go anywhere, but it's now in the minutes, and it is a, a, a statement of gratitude and so, so forth. Yeah. Anybody else? Yes, Bob.
Uh, I guess, but probably not. There's too many eyeballs. The Committee of Commissioners would probably have connections. And rightly so. Yep. Anybody else? No. And there's not even a filibur rule. You know, when I was in elementary school, that's what they used to call me when I was in football. They started calling me filibuster. I thought they were talking about me being a tough football player. That's because I wouldn't shut up. All right, anybody else? All right, so I stated this last summer. I, I um, stated this last summer. Just remember, the report on human sexuality that the Ad Interim Committee put out is what we hold to. Uh, votes up and down on BCO changes may have nothing to do with the main topic of the overture, but may have rather, uh, may actually be based upon language of the proposal, procedure, weakness, strength of language, etc. And I need to emphasize that. You've got to remember, BCO, for example, is just a regulation on how to operate the church, how to do so well, such as church discipline, uh, uh, how we do congregational votes, and things like that. And so, there's all kinds of reasons why people might vote up and down, and it's never quite as simple as sometimes it gets put out there. It may have nothing to do with the issues, even those voting for the overtures or those voting against. Just remember that. Always keep that in mind. Yes? Book of church order. I'm sorry. Yes, shorthand there. Book of church order. Just a guide on how we conduct our church business. A vote for the changes to the book of church order does not mean we're being more faithful, and a vote against does not mean we're being less faithful. Uh, I'll mention on these two overtures, for example, uh, David Coffin, who is nobody's progressive, you know, had uh, procedural concerns about the overtures. Larry Ball, who is nobody's progressive, had actually substantive uh, disagreements with the overtures, thought that they would actually protect those he would like to get rid of. And so they put those out in articles and so forth. There's just all kinds of reasons why people vote for and against, and it's not an indication of faithfulness or faithlessness, okay? And I will stand on that. And so filter all public statements then in podcasts, articles, social media posts, and throughout uh, through the framework of a study of four, just as a, a guideline as you're listening and reading, okay? I'm not saying don't read, just read, but make sure you filter all those through the study report. Any questions before we get to the overtures? I'm ready to bring up the overtures. So I'm going to present the overtures the way they were voted on. They were voted on out of order. Okay, so there's two overtures. It was overture 23 and overture 37. Overture 37 uh, was voted on first, but you need to know that as it came to Presbytery, it was already dead. It would not meet ever at this point, could not have the uh, two-thirds majority vote. So it was already dead several votes back from other presbyteries. So this is Overture 30. Does that make sense before I go on? Okay. So the Overture, and there's actually, uh, this actually has two parts. So the first part actually deals with Book of Church Order, Chapter 21, Paragraph 4E. But the second part, which is verbatim, goes to Chapter 24, Verse 1. This one's for pastors. This one's for ruling elders and deacons. They, they were just verbatim. Okay, and so you've, we've read this before, but I'll read it again. In the examination of the candidate's personal character, the presbytery shall give specific attention to potentially notorious concerns, such as, but not limited to, relational sin, sexual morality, parentheses, including homosexuality, child sexual abuse, fornication, pornography, 
addictions, abusive behavior, in parentheses, addictions, abusive behaviors, racism, and financial mismanagement. Careful attention must be given to this, his practical struggle against sinful actions as well as to persist, uh, to, uh, persistent sinful desires. The candidate must give clear testimony of reliance upon his union with Christ and the benefits thereof by the Holy Spirit, depending on his work of grace, to make progress over sin and to bear fruit. Uh, while imperfection will remain, he must not be known by reputation or self-profession according to his remaining sinfulness. Um, uh, e.g. homosexual desires, etc., but rather by the work of the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ in order to maintain discretion and protect the honor of the pastoral office, presbyteries are encouraged to appoint a committee to conduct detailed examinations of these matters and to give prayerful support to candidates. And so that was the proposed amendment to chapter 24, uh, 21.4e and then chapter 24.1 for ever, all, anyone who's ordained in the PCA. Okay? And it... Um, it was already dead as it came to us. Um, and the overall votes at Presbytery were 29 yes, 39 no, and one abstain. Now the Ochers presented, it gets, uh, the motion gets, uh, the motion is made to vote on it. And at that point, there's discussion. The discussion lasted 26 minutes. I was really surprised that it only lasted 26 minutes. Um, but it lasted 26 minutes. And it was, it was, it's always, it's always, uh, the discussion is always for, and the next person's against, the next person's for, and the next person's against, okay? And so there's the overture. Like I said, it got voted down for various reasons. Any questions on the overture? If I remember correctly, I mean, that's been a year, and I've slept since then. But if I remember correctly, all these character sins were not listed. There was only one listed. It was same-sex attraction or homosexuality. And so in Overture's committee, they expanded it and went out further. And that was Fred Greco had a lot to do with, uh, if you know who Fred Greco is, he had a lot to do with, um, with expanding it to where it was more inclusive like this. Not, not inclusive, that's the wrong word. Where it was bigger. Yes? I, other than what the speeches they gave on the floor, you know, yes. Probably. Yeah, probably. Um, yeah, I mean, some probably did, but they, you're right. It's probably already a majority before they went, yeah. Yeah, that'd be a good idea. I think I've got a copy still around. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, that I don't know. I couldn't tell you because there's... No, actually I don't, except for the fact that we had more ruling elders show up at Presbytery than General Assembly, which may have changed the votes. And so that was just a, as you think about it, like our, our Presbyterian usually has, I don't know, we usually have 50 people show up and we had a full stack of ruling elders. And so then you still have this kind of vote. Yeah, right, right. That's the way they, right. 
two rolling elves. Yeah, yeah, right. So the but but the the Book of Church order sets out that every church under I think it's five hundred has two commissioners, and that's ruling elders, uh, two ruling elders plus the teaching elders. And then if you have over five hundred, then you can have a third ruling elder vote. Okay. And the whole intention, you've got to remember, the whole intention is because we break out in hives when we think about the PCUSA, all right? And so the intention was always so that it's possible that ruling elder votes could out, could uh, negate teaching elder votes. So they're equal. I mean, they are one-to-one, right? And so you have all that going on, okay? So that, yeah. Probably. Sure. Right. Right. Yeah, we've thought about it. I mean, it, so it alternates between Saturdays and Tuesdays. It's not always on Tuesdays. It depends on the year. It was just the way that it worked out at the beginning. When I was in Mississippi Valley... They never met on any other day than Tuesday. And we were full, full of ruling elders and teaching elders. And so that was years ago. Yes, Moose. I thought it would have gone longer, yeah, on both of them. Yeah, yeah. Well, some of them had to do with the pre-Presbytery discovery and discussion because most of those Presbyters were there for that. And they got to hear and say things. But then there were quite a few who weren't. And so, but they, you know, so whatever the reason was, they just, I think, but it sounded like they ran out of gas. I mean, it was like, we're done. Let's vote. Well, I, yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. We're, we're getting hangry. <laughs> we're getting close to lunch. But that may have had so, and humans are humans, so that may have had just as much to do with it as anything else. <laughs> sir, <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I, so this isn't a personal opinion, but that's my personal opinion, is that the Presbytery was on board with what the intention is. So I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. So Jay Bruce, we were talking about Jay Bruce, who spoke for the overtures, calls me on the phone the next uh, uh, on Monday, and he says, you know, Paul Sagan, that's the pastor at Covenant Fayetteville, and uh, his elders, he said, we were just, we were excited because there was nobody in there campaigning for revoice. There was nobody campaigning for homosexuality. You know, we were really, really excited. We're more hopeful than we've ever been. So, but I think that's, the, that's kind of the overwhelming perspective. Yeah, it's just a, my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Okay, anybody else?
Yeah, interesting. Yes, Cindy. Uh, no, just the overall vote. Unless they w go and sign their name to their vote, it is not a. It's not public how they voted. Yes. Uh, I think that so the over seemed to me that the overwhelming against was the fact that we already have these in our confession of faith and so forth. We already have this stuff in there, and so this just becomes a redundancy. And then those who voted against or voted who wanted for it said we need to tighten the bolts down because it's not clear enough. So those were that was kind of the in my perspective that was from what I was hearing that was kind of the overarching concerns both both directions. Right. Right. There was no public dissension at all on those subjects. Yes. Yeah, what's funny, so this is this is this may be something else too though, Randy. So I'm on the candidates and credentials committee. And we vet all the candidates before they even go for ordination. Then we vet them as licensed and so forth. I ask every one of them, and Mike Biggs can confirm this, I ask everyone, is there any remaining sin? Is there any sin in your life that would shame the bride of Christ if it were ever exposed? And then we get into some detail. We're already doing those things. And I would imagine when I was being ordained in Mississippi Valley Presbytery, they were doing it there. I imagine probably... The other part of the redundancy might be the fact that most or many of the presbyteries were already doing this part right here, asking these questions. I'm just guessing, just from listening to some of the things that were said. Yes? I have no idea. It's getting bigger and bigger a little bit. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Yes, Bob. You know, I, I don't know. I wasn't in that. I wasn't in the GA Overtures Committee. Just listening to just the, the interview that Fred Greco did with, uh, on mortification of spin. I, if I remember what he said, it was just the fact that there's more than the one issue as well. Right? So most of our discipline cases where we've had to discipline ruling elders and teaching elders are usually over other sexual sins. Right? And I can tell you from experience in North Texas Presbyterian here, pornography, adultery, things like that, and then some financial mismanagement. So those are the three I think I remember we've done a lot of discipline on over the years. Yes, unless you read my book. But they didn't read my book, I'm sure. I doubt they read my book when they wrote that. But yes, and that, and that you know, that is a good point, Bob. That may be one reason why some didn't, didn't vote for this is because the, the indistinguishable terminology, such as, I think I heard somebody talk about what a I think it was David Coffin. What a relational sin. You know, what do you mean by relational sins? I mean, that could be. Yeah, yeah, right. So it's just, yeah. So I think that was part of the deal. I need to move on to the next overture. Anybody else? 402 pages, Bob, or John. Yeah. All right, moving to overture 23. 
Here's Overture 23. Alright, officers in the Presbyterian Church in America must be above reproach in their walk in Christian life and their character. Those who profess uh, an identity such as, but not limited to, gay Christian, same-sex attractive Christian, homosexual Christian in like terms, that undermines or contradicts their identity as new creations in Christ, either by denying the sinfulness of fallen desire, such as, but not limited to, same-sex attraction, or by denying the reality and hope of the progressive sanctification, or by following, excuse me, or by failing to pursue spirit-empowered victory over their sinful temptations, inclinations, and actions are not qualified for ordained office. And so that was the overture. Now this one was alive, and, ha- and if we voted it up, it would continue to be alive for the next presbytery. So it was at, at the point it came to us, it was, on a, um, it was on a thread of whether it was going to continue to live or whether it was going to be dead in the water. I mean, our vote was going to either kill it in the water or move it to the next presbytery to do. Because we were down to that few presbyteries left to vote on it. Okay? And so... The vote went 32 yes for this overture, this proposed amendment. 34, uh, 35 no and one abstain. Okay? And that's how they went. And the arguments were almost the same as for 37. They were almost the same. Okay? Can you help me with this? Give me that one. Could you pass these out over here, please? Yeah, I mean, so the, the, what are you talking about? Yeah, identity. Yeah. And so most of the arguments from what I remember, most of the arguments were the same as they were about uh, Overture 37 for the same reasons. Uh, the only difference probably was this identity language. I know David Coffin has problems with that, for example. Um, and others as well. I don't know. But that was their debate. And so those were the votes. Any questions on this overture? Because I would like to move to what I've got just hand, I'm handing out to you. Any questions on this overture? So this one was voted down. Yeah, it was just uh, it was a standing, standing vote. I will tell you how I voted, and I, will not, I couldn't even tell you how the, commissioner, the other commissioners voted. Because I, I really don't care. That's the way our system is set up, is that if I vote one way and they choose to vote another way, then they would negate my vote. So I voted against 37 for what I mentioned about um, some of the procedural problems inside of it. I voted for 23. I got it and spoke for 23. I spoke against 37. I spoke for 23. Okay? And that's how I voted. Okay? And then I did this. Yes? Yes, yes, I'm sorry, Carolyn, yes. I mean, that's the way the system is set up. That's why at General Assembly we all have clickers, and then if I want you to know how I voted, then I will go sign my vote. So, yeah. Yeah. All right, so that was Overture 23, Thinking about the possibility it might fail, or even not, I didn't. I came up with my own overture, so let me read this, and I'll tell you this, the deal behind it. So both overtures failed. Let's see. And then I presented my personal overture. 
This was right after lunch, so it was the very first thing. So we voted on those two overtures, we broke for lunch, and then the very first thing, right after lunch, I got to present uh, my overture. So here's how it goes. Whereas in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have received from the sacred scriptures how we are to walk and please God. And you'll see I'm actually exegeting 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 6. Whereas the will of God is for our sanctification, specifically that we abstain from sexual morality, and whereas we are... Uh, we are to know how to control our bodies in holiness and honor and not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Whereas we do not, uh, God has not called us for impurity but in holiness and has given us the Holy Spirit. And whereas the body is not meant for sexual immorality but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And whereas our bodies are members of Christ and we are to flee sexual morality. And whereas we dwell in a society that has discarded the sacred value of our bodies, treating the body as malleable substance that can be manipulated and modified to match self-perceived personal inclinations, and whereas we find ourselves in a culture that is pressuring us to embrace, support, and promote lifestyles and relationships that are immoral, to include sexual morality, idolatry, adultery, the practice of homosexuality, thievery, greed, drunkenness, reviling, and swindling. I was just quoting 1 Corinthians 9, 6, 9-10 there. Therefore, be it resolved in order to promote godliness among those being ordained that the book of church order, chapter 16, be amended by adding the paragraph below. And so this paragraph is actually pulling together a significant piece in, in Overture 37 and Overture 23. Okay? Here's how it goes. Officers in the Presbyterian Church in America must be, must be above reproach in their walk and Christ-like in their character. Those who are involved in relational sins, I kept that fuzzy phrase, sexual morality, including homosexuality, child sexual abuse, fornication, pornography, etc., addictions, abusive behavior, racism, and financial mismanagement, and live or talk in ways that undermine or contradict their new creation in Christ, either by denying the sinfulness of fallen desires or by denying the reality and hope of progressive sanctification or by failing to pursue spirit-empowered victory over their sinful temptations, inclinations, and actions are not qualified for ordained office. And so I presented that. Um, there was a little bit of discussion, and they got referred to the administrative committee, which is pretty normal. Most overtures end up going to the administrative committee. And so the administrative committee is supposed to work on it. Well, lo and behold, I'm the chairman of the administrative committee. And so Thursday night, we had a called special meeting because we had to do a couple of administrative things. And we dealt with this overture a little bit. And then there was an alternative, or not an, well, I guess an alternative overture presented by Jay Bruce. Uh, and I just thought about it. I should have printed that off for you as well. Um, but presented by Jay Bruce. And then we have just petitioned the moderator for a specially called meeting. Here's why this is important. Uh, sometime in March, early March, because if we get an overture that's approved, it can then fit the timeline in which it has to be at the overtures committee at General Assembly. We've got 90 days before General Assembly to present our overtures, especially if it's going to go to the uh, um, Committee on Constitutional Business, CCB. That's it. Yeah, it has to be turned in before 90 days. And so that would put us right in there. And so the moderator has been petitioned to, to set up a... Uh, a specially called Presbytery meeting will be sometime in March and we'll look at these two overtures probably neither one of these overtures will probably make it there'll probably be some new form of them that will then go 
I hope, the General Assembly. So that's where that's at right now. Um, I think it's possible, and I think the reason why it's possible, um, yes, that caused 37, primarily 37 to fail, and then drew, and drew in the part that I think that most people would, most of the presbytery would agree with into 23. I did drop, um, I dropped the identity language in this one. That was something <clears throat> I heard several people mention. I dropped that to try to see if we could make uh, something that be a larger majority would jump on. And so Jay's actually takes the uh, AIC study report and turns um, and summarizes it into a BCO amendment for the same place in the BCO. But it actually is quoting from the AIC study report. Okay. Any questions at this point? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, so the, the, the uh, study report on human sexuality was overwhelmingly vocally uh, uh, received and, and accepted. Okay? I mean, it is, it is where we are, and I'm going to explain some more about that in a minute. Anybody else? Yeah, both are dead. So they won't even go to General Assembly, but that doesn't mean there won't be more overtures because we're putting, it, we're putting in our own overtures. Okay? And there'll probably be other presbyteries putting in there. So this is not going to go away. Because we need to address it in some way that actually gives people that confidence that we're dealing with those things. Okay? Thank you. You just give me a segue. Let me tell you a story before we get far. This story includes the Waltons, it includes the Martins, and it includes the Phillips. When we were in Midland, Texas, we had a young family that joined our church, and he finally became a ruling uh, a deacon there, and his wife helped play piano. Then they moved to Salt Lake City. This is where the, the Martins come in because they were there at the same time. This young family, the man, became a ruling elder at a PCA church there in Salt Lake City. Uh, last year, one of his children, I have like six, one of his children came out and said that they were the other sex. And the family sided with the child and went to the session. He was on the session and he said, I know where the PCA stands. I cannot be an elder in the PCA because of where you stand. And so he pulled out of the PCA and he's gone on somewhere else and now it's marching gay pride parade. The point is, as I get to your question, where we are is so clear that people like that, they know where we stand biblically. There's no doubt in their mind. And the reason why they know is because, for example, the AIC study report, but also historically, 5th General Assembly, 1977. And by the way, I'll have this all for you to have. Uh, I can print it out or send it to you in email. The 5th General Assembly, 1977. Whereas God's Word teaches in the Old Testament that homosexuality is a sin, labeling it an abomination, 
in such passages as Leviticus 18 and 20, etc. And it just goes through and lays out the fact that that's where we are. We hold to this. That was in 77. We sent a letter. I was actually a recruiter in the Air Force when that particular president came in and I was worried that he was going to make me start recruiting homosexuals as a minority because they are a minority. We sent a letter to the president, one that he did not read, of course, <laughs> where we stated, it's called Declaration of Conscience. We stand resolutely opposed to homosexual practices incompatible with the temporal good of our nation and the eternal good of its people. We presented what the scripture says on the subject, cataloging God's own pronouncements and judgments against it. We concluded the letter. Our prayer is, in, we conclude the letter with this. Our prayer is that you will stand against any and every pressure that would be brought to bear on your administration by those who would legitimize homosexual practice. That was sent to the president at that time. That was 1993. In 1996, the GA answered a personal resolution. Somebody sent in a personal resolution to oppose the legalization of homosexual marriage. The GA publicly adopted the statement. We affirm the Bible's teaching that the promotion of homosexual conduct and relationships by any society, including action by the governments to sanction and legitimize homosexual relationships by the legalization of homosexual marriages, is an abominable sin calling for God's judgment upon our society. We also affirm our belief in the transforming power of God's grace and our commitment to speaking the truth and love to those in the homosexual community. In 2019, we adopted the, uh, excuse me, in 2019, we affirmed as, um, a, uh, um, we affirmed it as a biblical statement is what we affirmed, the, the Nashville Statement on Biblical Sexuality, oh, there it is, that it's a biblically faithful declaration. That was a majority. That was 2019. Also, our RPS, RPCES papers, position papers, were adopted as we came into the denomination, the PCA. Those papers became the denomination's papers. That's how, where we stand. And so they embraced that report uh, of the Study Committee on Homosexuality from 1980. Oh. Here's my concern from some of the things you hear, and this goes to your question. Okay, so in, let's just go back to the PCUSA history. The liberalism in the PCUSA did not start in the 1960s. J. Gresham Machen told you when it started in his book, Libera, Libera, uh, a Christian, a Liberalism and Christianity, Christianity and Liberalism. That's it. I get them backwards. That was 1920s. Liberalism began because they denied the scriptures as the final rule of faith and life. The circumstance was in 1960s that proved that they no longer held the scripture as the final rule of faith and life, they ordained women as pastors and didn't care what the scripture said about it. That's when you knew the break was made. But then the homosexual, the LGBTQ, whatever it is, it didn't take over, began to get the, the steam it got until the, the, the 80s. It started building up, 80s, 90s. But all of that is because of what happened clear back in the 1920s. The RCA, the Episcopal Church, the CR, CRC, uh, United Methodist Church, I could just go down the list. They didn't, they didn't go liberal when they adopted homosexuality. The liberalism came in when they denied the scriptures as the final rule of faith and life. It took decades for them to finally swallow the pill to come out where they came out. Now why do I say that's important? Because we're not going the way. Even, even Kevin DeYoung, who came out of the RCA, stood on the floor of the 2019 
General Assembly and said, I come from a liberal denomination. This is not liberalism. He knows. When I was in the, at the Trinity Episcopal School for Ministry getting my doctorate in the early 2000s, there was a bishop who was being uh, installed as a, as a bishop, a guy being installed as a bishop. Do you all remember Gene Robinson? Anybody? Okay, thank you. So I have friends who are old-time Episcopal priests. And they said the problem came clear back in the 60s when all of a sudden we began to allow a priest to get a divorce. Does this sound familiar? We're beginning to deny scriptural authority. We allowed a priest to have a divorce, get remarried, and stay in the priesthood. And so that was a result of this, which was a result of that. Okay? And so all my Episcopal friends at the at the seminary where I was getting my doctorate, kept saying the problem was is that we denied scriptural authority way back in the 60s at least and started ordaining female priests. So then I would pull out my copy of J. Gresham Machen's Christianity and Liberalism and hand it to them and they would read it and they'd go, why did nobody tell us this was here? There's where the liberalism, actually what you have to watch for, the problem is we have to be careful that we're not trying to strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. We have to be careful about the circumstantial concerns we have, and we all have this concern. And miss the real issue. And as a denomination, we're holding, it seems to me, we're holding to the real issue, Scripture, and it keeps bumping into us and correcting us and guiding us. We don't always go the right direction. We're a human institution in the sense of the PCA. And so there's a corrective that goes on. My concern, my other concern is the law of unintended consequences. Okay? Anybody been to Mississippi? Yes. What's the big viney thing that takes over everything? Kudzu! Kudzu is not American. Kudzu, I think, is Japanese. Does anybody know when it came to the U.S.? It was like the 1920s. The agricultural department wanted to import it because of erosion. So we imported this for this purpose and it caused this collateral damage, right? It tore, it's tearing down, it was tearing down when we lived there. Huge, ginormous, old trees, cypresses and, and so forth. Just, it would just consume them all and pull them down. It was so heavy. The law of unintended consequences. Oklahoma. Why did the Dust Bowl happen? Anybody remember? Yes. Right, you have a conglomeration that you've got droughts. Yeah, you don't have rotation of crops. And then the agriculture department is saying, scalp the surface every time you harvest. We're the geniuses. We know what's best for you. We're the government and we're here to help you. So they're trying to actually help create more fertility. And there was a consequence, unintended consequence. It created the Dust Bowl. Think about when you used to chase houseflies around the house. I know most of you don't chase houseflies around the house anymore. Unless you're Lisa LaRouche and you had your little salt gun. But do you see how crazy people get when they chase flies? Have you ever noticed that? And they hit everything but the fly. Right? Just like rolling up a magazine and going after the fly and breaking the vase. Or hitting the window and breaking it. The law of unintended consequences. My concern is that we're so concerned because of the moment we're in 
we're so concerned about this circumstantial thing here. Are there things to be concerned about? Yes. Are they things that should consume our 24-7 lives? No. As we go for that fly, we might actually end up and possibly could break a vase or whatever, the unintended consequence. So we want to stay sober-minded and pay attention, make those decisions, deal with those things, but make sure that what we're doing is not with our many people in our society overreacting or reacting out of fear. God said something to Isaiah somewhere. I wrote a whole chapter on it. Isaiah 8. Do not call fear. Do not fear what these people fear. Do not call conspiracy what they call conspiracy. Let me be your fear. Let me be your dread. And that's where we need to be. I'm not pre- I, am, I am preaching. I'm a preacher. I'm a preacher. But that's our, those are the things we have to have in place. Does that mean that we need to, don't need to deal with this subject? No, we need to deal with it. We've actually been dealing with it all along. And that study report should tell you we really dealt with it. Hopefully, as these overtures go through, or whatever, the overtures go through, we'll be able to actually do something that will say, because for whatever reason, what we have done is not saying that, you, that we are on this page. So hopefully we'll be able to finally do something that will convince everyone, or most of us, that we're on this page. We're, we're doing these things for biblical reasons. So there you go. Yes? Right. Now, the overtures were specifically dealing with church officers inside the church. So that's the difference between that and the AIC study report. It's actually saying, here's how we minister to those outside. And as we run across church members who may identify or call themselves these things, here's how we work with that. So it was actually answering what you were talking about. The overtures are talking about the higher standard we have for all church officers. So that was the difference between those overtures and the study report in that regard. So yes. Yes. Absolutely. Um, yes, you'll see both. You'll see little. You'll. See, they won't come out and just say we deny the authority of Scripture. It will be in writing how they are denying it. Okay, and that's why. And that's why it is important to be vigilant. So don't ever think that I'm not saying don't be vigilant why it is important for us to be vigilant and ask those questions but come at it that direction 
Are, you know, are we doing this? So I'll give you an example. Here's a funny one. So on the floor of General Assembly in 2006 in Dallas, Texas, some guy got up and presented a motion to uh, ordain deaconesses in our denomination. And we can ar- argue about that all day, all day long. But he said, the reason why we need this is because it's a social justice issue. Fail! Thankfully, the moderator called him down and says, well, we're not worried about social justice, really. We want to know what the Bible says. I mean, that was where, where that went. And that was the right thing to say, right? And so that's what, there's what you have to, that's what you start with and where you're working at, okay? So, yeah. Anybody else? We're going to get a break here because it's always time for church. Anybody else? And so this is being recorded. It'll be out uh, Monday. It'll be online. It'll be part of sermonaudio.org.com, whatever it is. You need to see that. And I'm going to make uh, printable copies that you can uh, you can download if you want those as well. Any questions? So next week we'll get back to our normal programming. Sorry, it was a little TV joke. We're back to our normal programming. With why do you do that? We'll talk about communion. I'll probably review what we said about tithing and then move into communion. Okay? All right, let's pray. Lord God in heaven, we confess to you that we're in a very tumultuous time. Socially and politically and uh, even in our neighborhoods, just thinking about who live up and down the street in my cul-de-sac. Lord, we pray that you would help us, that we would weather this storm by fidelity to you, by grace alone, in Christ alone. We pray that your spirit would enable us to do that. We pray for our denomination, Lord, that in all that's going on, that we would be, uh, that you would guide us to make good decisions and make clear statements that uh, are beneficial to everyone. We pray, Lord, that, um, that you would bless our denomination in godliness, in righteousness, in sobriety, that you would help us to be uh, a denomination that truly serves our Lord Jesus Christ ever and always. Lord, prepare our hearts now as we get ready to enter into the great assembly to worship you. We pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your holy words that we will hear and pray today. In Jesus' name, amen.